This week on the pod, we take aim at the MRO, the AFL's growing image problem, the teams we can and can't get a gauge on, and Jeff Kennett's rank hypocrisy. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello to everybody out there in podcast land. My name is Matt Walsh here with the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Jake Michaels is to my right. How are you going today, Jake? Excellent as always. How are you, Matt? I am not too bad. The Blues were pretty good on the weekend, I thought, uh, even though they sort of fell short in the dying minutes some against n- the Pirates. Some nice signs there. Yeah. How about Cripps's game? Uh, he's not a bad player, is he? He goes all right. He, he does go all right. <laughs> uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, welcome along to you. Thank you. Good to see you. Uh, how many games did you watch on the weekend? Uh, watched six in full. I worked on four of them. One of them, a bit annoyed at. I was working the St Kilda West Coast game, so missed the showdown, which I was looking forward to. So that's probably the one I yeah, saw the least of. Because everyone wants to watch the showdown. We did discuss this last <laughs> week in the podcast. And Neil Seawang, how is your heart after watching the Ds win by a point in the last second? The the ups and downs of one minute of footy, it was amazing. I was actually painting uh, an empty house um, that we've just, just about to move into, and I was uh, yelling and screaming. I'm sure our new neighbours weren't overly uh, happy with me, but uh, the last minute was something else. The new neighbours are murderers. <laughs> and now your house is all red and blue on the walls? Is Pretty right? much. <laughs> was it amazing. a conscious effort? <laughs> it's got to be the most the craziest minute of footy of the whole year. Sure. What a week for sporting comebacks. Yeah, the NBA was just absolutely crazy as well. Champions and, League, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, that's right. And to think that the last passage of play for the Ds, they tried their best to lose the football. How many game, mistakes were made? James Harms, what he was he having a shot at goal? He wasn't setting it. So it was thirty five metres and I reckon he was going for goal, but it was a wet ball, he was probably fatigued. Donald drops error. the mark. I know, I know. Jeez, I tell you what, neither team deserved to win really, but thankfully for the red and blue fans amongst us. Probably um, the best point you've seen. <laughs> right up there with Barry Breen's for St Kilda in, was it, 66? <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Hey, uh, look, we've had a change of plans this week. We couldn't keep Jake down in our pre-podcast meeting. He's insisted that we open the show with his rant. So without further ado. I've had a gutful. Jake, I'm going to throw it over to you straight away. Look, the current review and judicial system the AFL has in place is an utter disgrace, and it's an embarrassment to professional sport. How Nat Fife walked away from that elbow on Tom Lynch without so much as a fine is absolutely staggering. I just can't believe it. He literally made no effort to collect the ball, raised his elbow and lined up Lynch in what was a disgusting sequence of play. And you know, what really frustrates me is that if Fife knocked him out, he's getting three, four weeks for, for that. But the fact he doesn't and the fact that Lynch goes on and plays and plays pretty well, it's nothing. It's not even a fine. This is an absolute joke. Stamp out the action altogether, regardless of the result. I think I think we're all that's strong. <laughs> but I think I think all of us are in agreement. I think most AFL fans are in agreement as well. There's too much emphasis on the outcome as opposed to the act. So Fife and probably to a lesser degree Gary Ablett have both taken their eye completely off the ball and swung an elbow or a forearm into someone else's head. Yet they're let off because they're lucky that they didn't collect with the you know the sweet spot if you like of their elbow into the wrong spot on the other person's head that's the thing it's just you've got to look at the action as a as as the whole thing and you don't look at it as oh okay he he continued to play the game you look at the action and think hey this is not something we should be doing in our sport and it's not something that we allow in our sport how how he can get off is just staggering i just can't believe it there there have been so those are what you could argue as non-football moves and these players get off and then there are players who do football moves, such as Sam Durden, goes for a, yep. what really is a textbook shepherd, gets a week for that. And then you have Will Setterfield a couple of weeks ago, pins the arms admittedly, but in a pretty good tackle and gets two weeks for that. I mean... 
But as you say, they're they're football actions. They're football actions and they're getting weeks. And the non-football actions of raising a fist, raising a forearm or raising an elbow uh, are being ticked off. And kids around the country watch Gary Ablett, one of the best players of all time, and they see that's okay. He's a NAB mini legend. The whole whole works. Like, the fact that he, because he did the same thing basically the week before, and Fife didn't come under more scrutiny is is staggering and I completely agree so with you Jake the, the AFL is effectively saying it's okay to start swinging your elbows and your forearms into people's heads I mean what other sport allows I mean maybe apart from NHL which is <laughs> a league of its own but what other sport says that yeah you can you can actually swing your elbows and collect people in the head and if, if they're if, if they can actually get up and continue playing then yeah don't worry about it we, you know that you can keep doing that the whole year the MRO struggled for consistency in terms of uh, outcome versus action and some of the suspensions have been quite strange I know Christian you've got a couple of stats yeah, so I was going to say it's not even the consistency that I um, was surprised with so there's been 68 guilty verdicts this year so far including this week and only 6 have um, resulted in players getting actual suspensions so that's 62 fines versus 6 suspensions oh, um, cha-ching money for yeah, the NFL. exactly it's uh, yeah, lining their pockets quite well and the only uh, multi-week suspension we've had was Will Setterfield for his uh Football a legal action. tackle on Will Powell. So it did, it did knock the bloke out, and Will Powell didn't play for a couple of weeks. So I'm all for him getting two weeks, but I would have thought there is other actions. Would Sam Durden have got off if he'd won a Brownlow medal? Who knows? Quite possibly. I mean, it's funny that you say that because how many? 68. I mean, yep. so there's 68 things that the AFL has seen so far this year after eight weeks that worse than what Nat Fife did. That, that just well, cannot Fife didn't be right. even, Fife didn't even get a fine. So That's the AFL I mean. have completely ticked it off. <laughs> It's it's yeah I I couldn't agree unbelievable with you. yeah exactly uh, ticking off's a bit of an issue in the AFL but that is a very good rant Jake and I'm glad that we've opened the show with that I'm glad Jake demanded for the rant to start he the show. did demand he stormed into the pre podcast <laughs> meeting and I'm said, gonna I'm gonna just set this straight <laughs> Matt was the one that suggested this <laughs> hey wasn't it a good idea strong start <laughs> all right uh, let's uh, resume normal programming with our next segment it's time for three on three. Three on three is the segment where we spend three minutes, give or take, uh, discussing three of the big issues from the week. Uh, we're going to kick it off sort of in a similar vein, Neil. The Dane Rampey incident, look, growing discontent within the AFL community isn't really limited to the MRO. Um, on Friday night, we all saw the, the Rampey goalpost thing. Uh, the AFL ticked off the non-decision of the free kick, despite Rampey clearly breaking the law. Is this a latest in a long line of sort of decisions whereby the fans are losing trust in the AFL. I mean, where's the accountability and where's where's the AFL's sort of onus to just be like, hey, we made a mistake? Yeah, I, I think there is growing, I guess, distrust, which is kind of working against what the AFL is probably setting out to do in protecting their brand. They, The AFL, the governing body of the sport, is trying really hard to say, no, everything's under control, everything's working to plan, without ever having the, I guess, the without wanting to admit to mistakes. But I think the average man or woman on the street respects someone or a body when they say, put their hand up and go, yeah, we got it wrong, but we're going to try and get better at it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I don't understand why they can't come out every now and then and say, you know what? Maybe we did get that wrong. Look, how many times have you ever seen a player climbing up the goalpost? It's not, it's not like we see it every week. I personally didn't know it was a rule, you know, a, a hard and fast rule that it's a free kick to the opposition team directly in front. Who knows? Maybe the umpires didn't even know that rule. I mean, it's not something we see all the time. So it's it's not that hard for the AFL to come out and say, look, this is just a really rare occurrence and it's something that we missed. Uh, the thing that I kind of can't quite understand is that if the umpire had paid a free kick against Rampy, the AFL would have come out the next day despite outrages that would have uh, stemmed from it and they would have said, hey, the right decision was made. 
Same thing on Anzac Day when Sean Ryan, the umpire, uh, made some calls to talk back stations and said, um, no, the, the non-decisions against Essendon in the, the dying minutes of Anzac Day, they were all fine. If those free kicks had been paid, I can guarantee you right now, the AFL would have come out and said, yep, the free kicks were there. So they're, they're right either way, and I'm just not sure the fans are buying it anymore, and I'm not sure it's good for the brand, as, as you said, Neil. I, I, think, I think a strong league has, has the ability to stand on its own two feet and admit mistakes. I think the AFL is almost scared to say, hey, we we got something wrong. So I, I, I completely agree that um, transparency is really important, but also the ability, like, like like a person, if they say they got it wrong, you go, okay, yep, no worries, and, and we try and learn from it. And, and we do know they're measuring uh, the umpires at least because we know that the three umpires that are named on grand final day have the best decision-making across the season. So they're, they're sort of ticking off on all their decisions, which what how many they're missing, how many they're paying that are unwarranted. So they do keep stats on decision-making, but yeah, just don't uh, release that to the public. One competition that does it well for me, I, I follow the NBA quite uh, quite strongly, and they bring out a two-minute report. So for the final two minutes of every game, they review all the officials and sort of give you a pretty honest rundown. So it's almost that trade-off. We're not going to give you the whole 48 minutes of, you know, um, the you know pass mark for the uh, referees, but for the last two minutes, we'll, we'll run down the exact game and what, how we saw it. I remember a couple of years ago, the AFL website used to do a segment uh, that was basically they, they sat down with the head of the umpires and, and went through some of the more controversial decisions and explained how they got to that decision. And then that, that went away. It disappeared. Like, I think that was a little bit of pressure from head office. Well, well, look, honestly, I think... Um, but how great would it be to, to actually get that kind of NBA report where we can see the last two minutes of a you know close game and sort of say, like Anzac Day, for example, and just sort of actually say, you know, perhaps that one was wrong or actually, no, that one was right. I think yeah, I think AFL fans would actually appreciate that. Absolutely. Hey, just heading back to the MRO for a minute. I mean, we heard that Gil McLaughlin came out on radio and said um, the umpire umpired with or made the decision with uh, regards to the feel of the game. Mm. Just on the MRO, why can't the MRO do the same thing? <laughs> it's, well, I mean, there's there's that well-known refrain about rules on the run. Mm. I think Gil might have just said that and maybe he didn't even fully believe it, but yeah, it's pretty I think, ironic, isn't it? it? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, our next topic. Uh, so, eight rounds through the year, I think we're starting to develop a sense for which teams we can trust and, and have a good gauge on, and which teams we don't trust and don't have a gauge on. Neil, do you happen to have any thoughts on which teams you trust in the in footy world right now? Well, it, for me, it only seems like I, I really have a genuine gauge on Geelong and Collingwood. Um, you know, even at the lower end of the ladder, Carlton. I mean, I their, their effort on the weekend was absolutely fantastic, and they almost pinched that against a, a team that looks like it's going to be playing off in the grand final at the very least. So it seems like a, a year where form week to week fluctuates between so many teams, and and there's so many that I just cannot get a read on week to week. There's Hawthorne. They get beaten by a struggling Melbourne two weeks ago. They're playing GWS, another so-called contender, and they absolutely pants them at the MCG. There's Freo and Richmond they played um, on Sunday and, and yeah, Richmond was so depleted and Freo were, you know, had a really strong side of the year and you thought that maybe Beat they the were... the Giants in Canberra? Amazing. So, I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone. There's there's so many teams that I've got no idea week to week which way they're going to go. Yeah, I think uh, the Bombers are another one. I mean, for two years now, everyone's been saying, yep, they'll make finals, yep, they'll win a final, yep, they'll make top four. Um, but again, they've seemingly struggled and, and can't quite seem to find the right mix of players, I think. Their best 22 seems to fluctuate a lot, uh, and it's the lack of continuity on the parks, I think, clearly costing them as well. How much of this sort of boils down to the fact that the AFL 
in the modern age is so even. We hear it all the time. Players say it. People in the media say it. Fans say it. It is. It's even. Anyone can beat anyone. And it's quite rare for a, for a professional sporting league to have that um, evenness. So that's, but, a good, that's a good thing, yeah. That's I mean, a great thing. Talk, but but, talk, but does, yeah. that sort of, does that sort of answer the question, is it teams that we can't get a read on? Is it just because... On any given day, there's probably you've got the Collingwood and Geelong on top, and there's maybe a couple down the bottom. But there's probably 14 teams in the um, in the middle that can probably beat each other on any given day. Well, I think um, personally, Adelaide's third, and I think Melbourne are 14th now, or are they 15th? But I'll look at yep. those two teams, and I can't see a big gap between them. I'm still a little bit bullish on Melbourne. It's it's getting harder and harder You're each the week. The only one, I reckon. Um, you say correct. <laughs> So, I, yeah, I just look at those two teams and just think, I, I don't think there's that big a gap between Adelaide and Melbourne. Even Adelaide sitting third, they're the one team I can't gauge on. I didn't think they were going too well. That happened really quickly, didn't a it? Few, yeah, mm. the few results have just gone their way. I mean, you look back at it, though. The Gold Coast game, they smashed them over there, but it wasn't a great game. The Frio game was one of the hardest games to watch for the year hmm. for Adelaide. So, I mean, they, they're sitting pretty third on the ladder, but I don't think they're playing their best footy uh, by a long shot yet. And getting back to your point, Jake, we, we're discussing the fact that we can't get a read on them, which is difficult for tipsters and punters and, and maybe media trying to um, uh, project forward. But, yeah, the evenness of the competition is a good thing. It's It's actually wonderful that there's so many teams that can beat each other so yeah maybe we shouldn't be complaining but maybe it's just something that that hurts us when we're when we're trying to tip each week absolutely not i mean as a fan you want to be able to go to the football each week and you want to know that you're going to be at least some chance of winning you don't want to go thinking okay there's we're not going to win there's absolutely no way we're going to win yeah. and i think that's what the afl's created yeah absolutely hey um one of the AFL's most divisive figures is opened his gob again. Uh, Hawthorne President Jeff Kennett has taken aim at the AFL scheduling department, complaining about the number of Sunday 3.20 games that Hawthorne have received this year. Oh, dear me. <laughs> Neil, uh, we, we might as well have just had a second rant segment because <laughs> I know that you're, <laughs> you're quite passionate about uh, Jeffrey's comments. Yeah, the arrogance and the entitlement of his comments are just absolutely staggering. So his comments came about after 14,000 people turned up at the MCG for Hawthorne versus GWS which was um, I think the lowest Hawthorne crowd since 2004 and Jeffrey got asked about it and as is his way he's very strong headed and he, he what and he blamed the AFL so these are his direct quotes if you can bear with me the AFL have quite deliberately put together a schedule that does not help Hawthorne it's costing us this year between 500,000 and 1 million dollars in revenue I don't blame our members at all for the poor crowd. It's a scheduling issue. And as you know, the AFL has never been terribly considerate to the needs of Hawthorne. Turn it up. Can someone get... Cry me a river. Can someone get him a tinfoil hat? Like, I mean, you've got... Out of your 80,000 or so members, you've got 14,000 that attend and he blames the Mother's Day scheduling when uh, across town, North Melbourne and Geelong had 21,000, which is still a low crowd, but it's 7,000 more than Hawthorne. So... Maybe it is your members, Jeffrey. It's not an AFL conspiracy. Well, the Frio and Richmond game was also on the Sunday, and I think 44,000 or so people turned up to see that. They do celebrate Mother's Day in Perth, don't they? I think they do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. And also, uh, that was a 5.20 Eastern start, which is a 3.20 Western start. So it's exactly the same time slot. So I'm not sure where Jeffrey gets off on this, but look, I will sympathise with him. Apparently, the AFL scheduled Hawthorne to host 
Carlton down in Tasmania, which was a mistake because they should have scheduled the Giants down in Tassie and Carlton at the G, and they they might have had forty, fifty thousand people I there think, instead. I think there is some sort of ruling in there with the Tassie deal that they don't just keep playing all the interstate teams down That's there. So right. I think Mal- uh, Hawthorne have to take a Victorian based club. Well, and Hawthorne do get good windfall from those games. In any case, I think it's more than half a million dollars just for playing down there. And uh, yeah, anyway, but they're lining their pockets from the Tasmanian deal. And, and Jeffrey Try being a president of maybe. 14 other clubs that get a raw end of a, of the deal with fixturing and look at Gold Coast yeah. they didn't when the when were the Commonwealth Games on they didn't play at Metricon for about 12 weeks when the when the Commonwealth Games on they didn't get to play a home game they pretty much play played home um, game in Perth yeah, like, about what I was going to say 3,000 k's away or something and they're playing um, in the 440 slot most weeks never get a Friday night game never get Friday night game never get a Saturday night game never get any prime time and it's like tr- put yourself in those in their shoes what's wrong with the 320 slot on a Sunday is that not the marquee Sunday slot because it's on free to wear I mean lunchtime on a a Sunday at one ten is not a, a overly attractive spot, and the four forty starts obviously not a, a, an attractive slot. It, so it's probably the best you can get on a Sunday. I mean, honestly, turn it up, Jeffrey. Yeah, turn it up, Jeffrey. How about stat with Champion Data? As a fan, you often have an idea of which quarter your team tends to play well or the best in. For example, the Pies tend to do well in first quarters uh, this year, especially while the Lions have come home with a wet sail more than once this season already. Uh, Christian, which teams are the league's quarter-by-quarter quarter leaders? Yeah, so starting with uh, quarter one, you're right with Collingwood. So they're 8-0 and zero in first quarters this year. They're the only team not to have dropped a uh, a quarter this season. So there's no other team in any of the other three quarters that have a perfect uh, 100% record. So it's the only 100% record in any quarter. So it's Collingwood at 8-0. and zero. And they're outscoring their opponents by 129 points in first quarters, which is, the again, best differential. Well, that's... And looking Fast at up. the mm. yeah, looking at the other end, the Bulldogs are actually slow starters, so they're one and seven in first quarters this year. Um, and Sydney are actually getting outscored by seventy four, have been outscored by seventy four points in opening quarters this year. So that's the worst differential. Um, so just looking at the other quarters, Geelong's got the best second quarter record at seven and one. Port actually have the best points differential, so they've outscored their opposition by eighty six points in second quarters. Uh, third quarters. GWS, Hawthorne and Geelong are all tied with a 6-2 record for the best record in third quarters. And you're right again, Brisbane with the fourth quarters, they're 6-2 in fourth quarters, scoring 26 points per game in fourth quarters, which is ranked number one as well. So, um, yeah, it just sort of gives you, it breaks down the game in another way and sort of looks at which teams are sort of, you know, more likely to get a fast start or, you know, come home, as you said, stronger uh, towards the end. But even sort of you can break the quarter down by 10-minute slots, which I've also done. So... Having a look at um, within the first 10 minutes of the quarter, uh, Geelong's actually outscored their opposition by 99 points in that opening 10 minutes, and that's the best record of anyone. North Melbourne at the other end of the ledger getting outscored by 53 points in the first 10 minutes of quarters, so taking a while to get going. Uh, the 10- to 20-minute mark of a quarter, Hawthorne are actually dominating that period of play, so the middle part of quarters. They're 80 points up on their opposition in that time. And from the time on period of quarters, the 20-minute mark onwards, Collingwood's actually been number one in the comp at plus 135. Again, just looking at the other ledger, the other side of the ledger, Sydney are actually getting outscored or have been outscored by 113 points in time on periods of quarters this year. So just just really sort of not finishing quarters off strongly enough for Sydney. Those red time goals, they, they make you tear, tear your hair out, don't they? Well, they almost uh, suffered a really big red time goal on the weekend oh, and almost lost it, so it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. and I just looked at the actual... So the time on period of fourth quarters just by themselves, Brisbane are actually number one in the comp with 105 points. So that's basically your last five or ten minutes of a game. That's Brisbane staggering, are, considering they're such a young... Young team, you almost expect 
younger mm. sides like that to fade as the game goes on and to hold on to try and hold on to matches instead of surge ahead and win them. But, but maybe that's yeah. the fitness element that younger guys have seemed to be a bit fitter than the old, like you know I guess Sydney's not the old the old team that everyone seems to think, but mm. perhaps. And just looking at to, um, at the other end, Hawthorne's only scored 29 points in the time on f- of fourth quarters. And again, it's almost on what you guys are just saying. They're probably one of the more experienced teams in there. And yeah, the aging legs are sort of, you know, um, probably stop, stop running as hard as they can in the um, time on periods of the fourth quarter. So again, there's plenty of ways to sort of look at quarters, you know, winning quarters, first quarter, second quarter. But also I've taken another step and looked at just what happens if you are in front at quarter time or you're in front at half time, you're in front at three quarter time. So looking at comp averages, just the raw numbers. So if you're in front at quarter, t- uh, yeah, you're in front at quarter time this year, you're a 69% chance winning the game. Uh, if you're in front at half time, you're an 80% chance winning the game. And if you're in front at three quarter time, you're an 87% chance winning the game. But I actually looked at splitting the margin up. So if you're within single figures, so within 10 points of um, of the opposition, or uh, ahead by more than 10 points, so. This year, if you're within 10 points of the opposition, at, oh, sorry, ahead of the opposition by at least 10 points um, at halftime, you're a, about an 89 or 88% chance of winning the game. But if you're under 10 points, you, your lead's under 10 points at halftime, you're only a, about a 68% chance of winning the game. So there is a sort of, you know, you can look at the raw number and say, well, um, you know, almost 70% chance of winning at halftime, but it does matter whether you're sort of within 10 points or over 10 points. So again, that's looking at the whole competition um, and the numbers. One thing I noticed, I sort of just looked at previous years, um, seems to be a massive jump between, um, just in the last three years, between 2018 and 2019 especially, within 10 points at half time, as I said. So last year you were, um, I've gone the other way, so if you were behind by less than 10 points at half time, you were still a chance to win 41% of games. This year it's down to 32% of games, so it's almost harder to come back after half time and I think that's the game style that we're seeing a lot more keepings off being played a lot more slower footy scorings down yeah well that was what um, that what that stat you just raised there plus the fact that the Pies are so good in their first quarter and they're obviously one of the best teams in the competition it, it states it, it obviously speaks to the fact that they can start strongly and then dictate the games from there because it's a lot easier to win you know, hold on to a lead than it is to chase all game. So it's really interesting that they're that they're flying out of the blocks, the pies, and then they've got enough quality to just, you know, dictate terms from there. Well, it doesn't surprise considering scoring is still quite considerably lower than in mm. previous years as well. So if you're behind it at half time, just kicking a score to get yourself back in front is going to be a challenge uh, if you're looking sort of at the overall footy landscape. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, again, just breaking teams up individually. So there's uh, six teams. There's only six teams this year that haven't had a comeback from quarter time. Uh, so Carlton are zero and five when they're behind at quarter time. Essendon are zero and five. Sydney zero five, and then Frio and Gold Coast are zero and three. So if they're behind at quarter time, they haven't come back and won a game all year. Uh, but this most surprising one is um, Ess- well, not surprising, but Essendon is one team you can watch the first quarter and almost turn off the game. So if they're in front. <laughs> Uh, at quarter time, they've been 3-0. and If they're behind at quarter time, they're 0-5. and So their first quarters have really set them up for the rest of the game That's this year. That's a good year. one. That's mm. really indicative. Uh, and similar, I've sort of gone back the last four years, so 2016 and 19, just to give the numbers a bit more um, sort of juice to them. So the one that stands out for me there is Brisbane's actually been ahead at halftime on 16 occasions, which is the fewest of any side, so it's not many, but they're 14-2 and two in those games that they're ahead at halftime. Wow. 
Um, they've been behind at halftime on 58 occasions in that time, and they're 4 and 54 in those games. So again, it's almost like you can watch the first half for Brisbane, look at the halftime score, and almost you know put your tip in then of whether they're <laughs> going to come back and win or not. Um, and a few of the other teams that I've looked at. So again, going back to quarter time. Carlton, don't want to be behind at quarter time. They're four wins and 45 losses if they're behind at quarter time. Whereas you look at, and again, this is going from 2016 to 2019, you look at someone like, or two teams in Richmond and West Coast, Richmond actually are 18 wins, 17 losses when they're behind at quarter time. Impressive. Mm. And West Coast are 13 wins and 11 losses. So they're the only two that are above a 50% winning record well, when behind two, at quarter time. Last two premiership winners, so... West Coast, though, they really need to sort of get cracking by the second quarter. So if they're behind at halftime, they're only been six wins and 20 losses. So, again, that first quarter, they're great at coming back from a quarter-time deficit, not not great from a half-time deficit. So. It's fascinating. Mm. Quarter-time statistics and half-time statistics. I mean, there'd be a lot of people who enjoy a flutter who would be listening to this. And, I was thinking and hear, that. Yeah, and hearing live, the Bombers. Live betting, half-time yep. or whatever. Absolutely. Yep. Not that we encourage that sort of stuff. but Gamble I mean, responsibly, of course. Yeah, geez, it's, uh, it's an interesting insight. Uh, anything else you'd like to raise uh, before we move on, Christian? I uh, just thought I'd look at some of just some players' stuff quickly. Again, looking at quarter time thing. I just looked at the top sort of um, ball winners in the competition, top 50 disposal winners. Um, oh, sorry, top 150 disposal winners. Malkshan wins 36% of his disposals in opening quarters. So that's the highest percentage of any of the leading ball winners. Zach Fisher for Carlton only wins 16% of his disposals in the first quarter. Um, and then you look at someone like Callum Mills, who's interesting. He In the second quarter, he only wins 18% of his disposals come in second quarters, which is the lowest percentage of any player. But 34% of his disposals come in the third quarter, which is the highest of any of those players. So, so again, spray at halftime. I haven't, I haven't, looked in, half-time. Yeah, haven't looked into the whys and hows and all of that. Of just you know, sort of some interesting numbers of, yeah, there is certain guys that sort of, yeah. You've got an interesting bit- name there for uh, low, possession, low disposal winners in the uh, fourth quarter. Yeah, Joel Selwood at uh, only 16% of his disposals are coming from, mm. of course. That may be because I think he has had one game where he finished on the bench injured. As, you know, yeah. if you, you're more likely to miss a last quarter than a first quarter, obviously, Isn't through injury. Interesting how some players and teams can start slowly. Um, I guess every quarter's got its own story to tell, but I always wonder, you know, looking at teams that, who don't look like they've come to play, so to speak, and you're like, why have you started so slowly? I mean, it's funny that that some players and some there's like a history or a trend of some players and some teams that start slowly or get going a bit later or no no good in the second so you know there's so many variables at play I don't know how it happens but I'm sure their coaches and whatnot are doing their best to try and find out how to maximise them in each quarter what about some goal kickers have you got any stats on Um, so I looked at yeah looked at sort of the guys that have kicked at least 10 goals I mean there wasn't too much in it Papley and Tabena are the only two guys that have kicked at least 10 goals this year that haven't scored one in the first quarter so again, it takes them a little while to get going. Uh, whereas Brett Ebert for um, Port Adelaide, he's kicked 10 goals this year. Five of those have come in the opening quarters. Uh, so 50% of his goals come at the start of games. Similar to Brian Myers, uh, five out of his 10 goals have come in the second quarter. Um, and it's almost like a mirror image in, the, in Q3 and Q4. Cam McCarthy's kicked five out of his 10 goals in third quarters. And Lincoln McCarthy up at Brisbane's kicked five of his 10 goals in final quarters. So they're sort it's of the McCarthy guys that, quarter. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff for the McCarthy's out there. And the three votes goes to... Hey, it was cold up in Ballarat on the weekend. Uh, Neil, you were up there. You can attest to that, I'm sure. I can attest to that. It's been cold for about two weeks and I've got a couple of months ahead of me. Yep. (laughs) I'm sure you're looking forward to the long, dark winter up there. Very much so. Um, But there is one thing that caught my eye from the match up in Ballarat between the Lions and the Dogs. And I really, really, really like long-sleeve Guernseys. And yeah. they're going to get the three votes this week because, tell you what, Marcus Bontepelli running around in a long-sleeve 
Guernsey. I can see Jake shaking his head. He, he doesn't What's like so good it. about it. Tell <laughs> me what's what so good about it. What is not good about it? Bring them back. It's that, that sort of uh, shades of the of you know the old school a little bit. Some of the, the are you one of the players. are you one of these people that marks off goals and behinds in the footy record? <laughs> no, I'm I'm not actually. Uh, I, I think it looks kind of cool because it's a bit of a novelty. You don't see it that often. You don't see it. I'm that not often. as I'm not as hot on it as you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're hot. <laughs> well, I mean, considering up in in Ballarat, I think it was 11 degrees and uh, raining for for most of most of the yeah, day. It, it doesn't wasn't. surprise me. But what was Chris Fagan trying to do to the Lions? I noticed that he joined his side in the warm-ups before the game. In a singlet, yep. clearly making well, a statement. He, he is a Tassie boy, so maybe the, it felt warm or, or natural to him. But he also, I'm pretty sure he banned his players from, yeah. from wearing long sleeves on the day. I mean, I'm not too sure what that's trying to achieve unless you're Just trying to achieve mindset. hypothermia. See, I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of them, but I don't really mind either way. But I don't understand why he would ban players from wearing I, I would imagine that you know the Brisbane boys would not be used to playing in that sort of weather and just to ward off any oh this is no good it's too cold to play footy just to ward off any sort of 1% negativity it might have done its job but you know I looked at Eric, Eric Hipwood and he looked pretty cold at one point uh, sitting up in the goal square and doesn't have much meat on his bones I was going to say there's, <laughs> there's sort of not much there between uh, the, the interior organs and uh, the outside weather but no I like it I think um, there are a few teams around the league who do ban it and I think that's a bit strange because it's it's a talking point and people like it and I'll tell you what the Bonton full flight in long sleeves was a, a great picture on TV and I rate it so hey look before we move on mm-hmm. I just want to play a little bit of audio if I can uh, from last week's rant and Jake I just need to get a please explain from you about your comments regarding Clarko last week but what's Alistair Clarkson going to do I mean, people talk about this guy like he's the AFL messiah. Yes, he's won four premierships. I'm not I'm not denying him that. I'm not taking that away from him. Again, without bashing Clarkson, he's obviously there and he's done his job and he's done a really good job of it. But I mean, why does he only get the credit? Everyone will be quick to say, oh, Clarkson's a genius. Clarkson's the greatest coach. Clarkson, Clarkson, Clarkson. Clarkson, 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 Jake, was uh, part of your rant last week. But on the weekend... <laughs> He orchestrated probably one of Hawthorne's best wins since the flag. Uh, he dropped Jared Roughhead, came out and said his team was middle of the road, and kept a flying GWS side to five goals. Is he a genius? Would you like to take any of that back from last week's rant? Not at all. Um, I, I I never said he wasn't a genius, but well, I just, I think you might have done. I just no, I didn't. Play it again. <laughs> we haven't got time to play it again. No, I, I didn't say he wasn't a genius. I just said, why is he the only one to get any credit at Hawthorne? And the other thing is, I mean, the Giants are, are, are a basket case when it comes to playing football at the, at the MCG. So I wouldn't read too much into that. A 2-14 and 14 record is deplorable for a team that has, you know, premiership credentials, supposedly. Um, so no, I don't take any of it back, no. I thought it was brilliant from Clarko. I loved, I loved the fact that he... His comments after the Melbourne loss were would have put every single person in the in the whole club on notice. The fact that he dropped a much loved senior player, which a lot of coaches don't have the guts to do. And I think one thing that Clarko is excellent at is his tactics. So he has he brought a game style to play exactly how GWS wouldn't want to play. So I agree with your point last week, Jake, that the success should be um, looked at from a whole club point of view. The list, list management. Um, fitness staff XYZ not just Clarko but I love it the way that he can his motivational side and his tactical side and uh, I thought he was fantastic on the weekend well I mean when the Hawks were up by about sort of four, five, six goals uh, they clamped clamped down I mean played a possession game didn't let GWS rebound and, and move the ball quickly I think they had 
three inside 50s in the third quarter or something ridiculous. So it it really was a... The big stat out of that game was Hawthorne took 40 uncontested marks in a row. So I think it was the first 40 uncontested marks of the first quarter. Mm. Our fourth quarter, sorry. That's the longest streak of uncontested marks we've ever seen. So they just they just played keepings off beautifully. You could say it was a masterstroke from a genius And, and the Giants, were they they given up by three-quarter time. I mean, they were just looked... They didn't look like an AFL site. What a, what they, they, maybe they were outcoached. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we thought we'd stitch up there, uh, Jake, uh, before we move on to our next segment about footy tips. Uh, of course, you can tip on the app with your friends, family, co-workers, if you like, if you still like them after uh, the stitch up that we just threw <laughs> Jake under the bus. Uh, Neil, have you got any stats from the tipsters from last week? Yeah, last last week was another difficult one. So out of the database of um, almost 700,000 tipsters, we had 35 that uh, got nine out of nine and zero margin, which was um, you know a very small percentage. Uh, hats off to them. Uh, we had 1,300 correct tipsters who got all nine. Um, so just looking at some overall um, trends. So um, I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm on 39 tips, which I think is pretty middle of the table. It's not that good. And funnily enough, the user average for the whole competition is 39.4. Amazingly, there is one uh, tipster who has 54 correct tips. 54. And the average is 39. Is someone playing funny buggers with the servers? What's going that's on? not someone internally that's putting their tips in after the games or something like that. Um, but that's an incredible feat. And, uh, and across, the, across the... Obviously, there's a lot of different competitions that have been set up within the Footy Tips database. We'll give a shout-out to, uh, to the competition that's leading in terms of an average total score. Mentone Grammar Year 8H. So hats off to you guys. Your average total score across the competition is 51. So they're doing a lot better than most of us. That's amazing. I mean, I'm on 40 and that's 11 better over, what, only eight weeks. Well, the fact that our receptionist Lauren was leading the the Disney ESPN footy tips and she had filled out all of her tips for the whole season before the the year actually started probably says something about how we're, we're going. Um, but looking ahead, um, some early stats from the, the tipping so far. It looks like an easy round. Most are heavily weighted one way or the other, apart from two games. So uh, North versus Sydney at Blunston. It's about a 60-40 split ahead, uh, for uh, looking at North to win. Um, they don't lose too many down at Blunston, so I'll probably be leaning towards them as well. Um, and Adelaide and Brisbane, a really tough one to uh, tip. That's a 50-50 split at the moment, so... Um, it looks like most people, if, if they can get those two t- tough ones, they might might be looking at eight or nine. There you go. Hey, uh, speaking of getting eight or nine, do you have a certainty and an upset for us this week? Uh, there's a, there seems to be a lot of certainties. My certainty is um, I've, I've been really hot on Collingwood all year, even though they d- weren't that impressive against your mob, but I reckon they'll beat the Saints pretty, pretty easily. Um, and an upset for the round... Probably, even though I just said I'll probably tip North Melbourne because I don't uh, lose too many down there, I reckon the Swans are still a chance. It'll be a contested style of game, and you know they're, they're probably two bottom four teams, and it might be a flip of the coin. Jake, have you got a certainty and an upset for us? Yeah, certainly. I think Port Adelaide um, will beat Gold Coast and, and win well. I know they've got a, a few outs, important outs, but Gold Coast, I think this is their second... Um, trip to Adelaide in about three or four weeks and they were well beaten when they played the Crows there. Jeff Kennett going to put his hand up and <laughs> stick up for the Gold Coast Suns at all? Wouldn't have thought so. Uh, out, An outsider? Probably Adelaide. Um, they're the outsider against Brisbane and I think that is probably the toughest game so far to pick of the whole season. I think that's a genuine flip of a coin. Christian? Uh, so my certainty is Geelong. Down, they're playing down at GMHBA Stadium against the Bulldogs. Bulldogs haven't won there since 03, so I think Geelong should do that easy. My outsider, again, 
one more chance for for, the, <laughs> for this mob. But yeah, I'll, I'll put Melbourne as my outsider. I think if there's any game style that West Coast struggle with, it's that contested high stoppage sort of game, and that's what Melbourne will bring. So they're, they're a chance to win. Friday You're a brave night. man. You're a brave man. I don't I don't give the D's, especially with Melksham and Hibbard now joining half the team on the injury yeah. list. I don't the, think the injuries do make it harder to yeah. tip them, but I'll stick by him. Um, I expect Leon Cameron to have a Clarko-like week and give his troops a big boot up the bum. I think they'll take care of the Blues easily at Giant Stadium. Uh, but I'm going to go the opposite to what you think, Christian. I think the dogs are half a sniff against the Cats. Um, cats, look, they were complacent down in Geelong against the Giants a few weeks back. And the dogs have been running into a, a little bit of form. And I just think that they're not a bad little side. And they might break that, uh, what's that, 16-year hoodoo. Um, anyway, before we do go, please make sure to remember to rate and subscribe to our podcast. We do read all the feedback uh, that we get on iTunes and all the other platforms. We'll talk to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.